Hey, this is Kevin, the student pastor at Short Church Again. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We strive each week to bring relevant, practical, biblical teaching that meets you where you are. To stay up to date with what's going on at the church or to support the mission financially, head over to scog.com or download our app. I hope you enjoy the message. This morning we're kicking off a new series called Come to the Table. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited about this, this, this series and this message and what's going on. I'm going to happen that. But before we start in the, into the series, into the, that whole conversation, uh, I want to make you guys aware of something that happened this morning uh, to a dear, dear, dear loved one of this church. Um, Brother Bill Klaus passed away this morning about three hours ago. Um, if you have been in this church a long time, you know who I'm talking about. If you're new to this church, you have no clue who, you, uh, who um, Brother Bill Klaus was, and that is a, a shame. Um, Bill, um, Bill was a faithful, faithful, faithful member of this church for a long, long, long time, and then um, he developed um, ALS and um, could not um, come here anymore and has been living in a, in a, a facility for the last, I think, about 10 years. Uh, I had the privilege and the honor to go and have lunch. We snuck some Italian beefs into him, me and Gene McWilliams, um, and got to have lunch with him several times. And those conversations and those moments, I know I will cherish um, for forever. Um, just to see and get to know this, this wonderful man of God who loved you um, and loved every single one of you more than you can ever know. Um, Bill, for the last 10 years since, um, since and he hasn't even been in this church, um, was probably the number one or number two giver in the church. Um, he was a man who never even stepped foot in the, in the church. Um, and he would be, he's probably mad at me in heaven for even saying that. Um, but he constantly amazed me with the generosity. Um, constantly um, just blew me away with um, how much he loved you guys, how much he was praying for you. And when we tell a story about this kid or uh, showing pictures of this thing or whatever, just how much he loves you guys. Um, so that, uh, he will be having a service here. His son called me and said uh, dad's last wishes were um, to have the service here at Shorewood. So um, I don't, we're so new to everything. We don't know when that's going to be, uh, what that's going to look like. Um, so be paying attention to your emails and whatnot. Um, if you haven't heard anything, feel free to call the office and say, uh, Jared, you promised information and you did not give it. And I'll say, open your email and you'll go, oh, uh, but, uh, so I just want to make you aware of that. Um, Bill deserves as much honor and respect as we possibly can give him. Um, and just be praying for the Klaus family as they grieve and start that whole grieving process, um, this week. So, uh, it's not necessarily unexpected. It's just a lot quicker than, than we thought, uh, it would be. So, um, just a wonderful, wonderful man and a wonderful saint of this church. We talked last week about how you get to be a saint of the church. Um, Bill Klaus uh, reached that level very easily. So um, I just want to make you aware as a family matter um, of what, what's been going on there. So um, as we talk about come to the table this morning, I'll, I'll, I'll even piggyback on the Bill Klaus thing. Um, we're talking about whenever we see Jesus, uh, actually, whenever we see in the scripture uh, something significant going to happen, food is involved. Every single time. If you start to think about it, if you think about it for five minutes, you're going to start to think about all the stories in which food is involved. Even in the very first, right? The fall of man. What's involved? Some food, right? Now, we don't know what the fruit is. 
They didn't have apples in the Middle East, so it can't be an apple. Although all of us uh, Americans, like, it's got to be Johnny Appleseed's apple. That's what, no, it probably wasn't that. I think pomegranate, that's my, my, my thing. Um, all those seeds had to be evil for some reason, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it was around food. If you think about the most important event in, well, sec- probably second most important event in the Old Testament involves food. The Israelite people find themselves in slavery in Egypt because of food. They're driven there because they don't have any food, right? The whole Joseph story, they run to Egypt because they've, they've got to get to Egypt because that's the only place in the world that has food because there's a huge famine going on. Then the Passover story, the people being released from slavery and running away is commemorated by a meal, food, uh, and then you go through all the Old Testament, you th- think about what's going on, think about what's happening, there's food, there's food, there's food, there's food, there's food, there's food every time. You get to Jesus, and he takes this food thing to a whole nother level, right? The most important meal ever is still the Passover meal, but it's Jesus right before he's arrested, he gives us the whole idea of communion. He gives us this last meal, the last supper. Jesus, after he has uh, been crucified and rises from the dead, the one major thing happens over and over again when he appears to people to say, hey, I'm truly alive. Do you know what he does? He eats with them. He roasts some fish for breakfast. He eats with them. And the road to Emmaus and other things, when he, he shows them, he's like, hey, you know, watch this. You think I'm dead. I'm not. And he takes a big bite of bread or drinks some wine or Goes, does whatever he's going to do. And it's just amazing that this idea of food just kind of weaves itself in and out of the scripture over and over and over again. And so we're going to explore specifically Jesus and eating and how he invites people to the table. And over and over again, these experiences at the table are these profound moments. Jesus gets in trouble at the table. He ticks people off at the table. He restores people at the table. He accepts people at the table. Some of the most beautiful stories uh, that just sentimental where you get to see the heart of Jesus the most happen around the table. Some of the biggest misunderstandings of how people think they have this predetermined idea of who Jesus should be and those are shaken at the table. And so for um, Until Thanksgiving, we're going to be in this idea. And each week, I'm basically going to give the same message over and over and over again. I'm just going to use different stories to illustrate it, okay? Um, These three points of Jesus accepts us at the table. He redeems us at the table. And he he shakes our reality at the table. These three things. We're going to be exploring what those mean, what those look like, what that has to do with us. Because some stories, they really center in on shaking our reality. Some stories really shake in on, um, on being accepted. Some stories really center in on this whole idea of redemption. And so we're just going to continue to grow into that. Kind of like um, the series in James where every week it was James, a bondservant of Jesus, of God and of Jesus Christ. We had that same thing for 16, 17 weeks in a row. This week you only get seven weeks of it. All right. But uh, it's that same idea that Jesus is trying to teach us because it's this huge, huge, huge idea. If you start thinking about coming to the table, I remember um, one of the times in which I went to uh, to have lunch with Bill Klaus. 
And we went to eat with Bill, and we've got Italian beefs because that's what he wanted. And we're like, yes, sir, that's what you get. And so Gene and I go, and we find a place to, to sit in the nice little lobby of the place he's living. And I'm, we get the food out and ready to go. And Bill looks at me and goes, I, you're going to have to feed me. And I was like, I'm sorry. I, that, oh, uh, okay. Like, I do a really bad job of feeding my two, you know, my 20 month old. Like, this is going to be, this is going to be difficult. And I've never fed a grown man before. It's like, how does this work? What if I spill it on him? Like, I start thinking about myself. Like, what if I do wrong? What if I did that? What if I do this? This is a grown man that showed the humility to say, hey, buddy, that's nice if you bring me Italian beef, but uh, somebody's got to do something around here. And that earth-shaking, like for me, it was one of the most profoundly spiritual moments that I've had. Like when meeting with somebody, it was profoundly spiritual. It was like, no, you need to get over yourself. You're here to serve him. And I, just, I remember like what the wallpaper looks like in that room as I think about it because it was just one of those moments and when you went, hey, saying about you, chief. And I was like, oh. I was all prepared to tell Bill about all the wonderful things the church is doing and all these things right here. You know what? I'm just going to feed you, hang out, give you a fry. Let's hang out. It, cha- it just changed me. It was one of those moments I, I, it blew so much of my pre, of who Jared is. I just went, whoa. And it reordered my priorities. When we meet Jesus at the table, it does a lot of the same thing. It reorients our priorities. It shakes us. We come to the table with Jesus like, oh, I'm going to tell Jesus how great I am and look what I did and look what I did and, this, and I volunteered here and I did all these things, right? We come to the table with, you know, our, our woohoo, pat me on the head, Jesus, I did a good job. And Jesus is like, yeah, but your heart is so messed up right now. And you're like, you weren't supposed to see that. You weren't supposed to see what I'm covering up. You weren't supposed to see all the junk inside me. You weren't supposed to do all that. You were just supposed to say, good boy, and pat me on the head. When we come to the table with Jesus, our lives get shaken. I was thinking this week as preparing this message, I thought there's a, you know, the, the mixer or the icebreaker that all good youth pastors do um, is you, you ask them a question. Okay, go tell somebody your favorite food. Go tell someone your this. Go, if there's anybody in the world, you've probably done this at work. If there's anybody in the world, who, uh, history or past or present, that you could have lunch with, who could it be? Right? You, you've all done this game. And, um, you know, as the pastor, I'm supposed to say, obligatory, they teach this in seminary, right? You're supposed to answer it, Jesus. Right? That's the churchy answer. I'm supposed to have lunch with Jesus. I'm going to be honest with you. I think I'd be a lot more comfortable having lunch with somebody else. Can I say that? Like, can we, can we be real enough to say, like, having lunch with Jesus, that'd be cool. But he's going to know me. He's going to call me on my stuff. And some days I don't know if I'm ready for to be called on my stuff. I just want to eat my Italian beef, hang out. You know, Clayton Crusher would be nice. Maybe some baseball player, whatever. I'd be, hey, buddy, how you doing? I could snow them, smile, get an autograph. Jesus would look at me and go, hey, so how's that working out for you? Let's not talk about my stuff. Let's talk about that water and the wine thing. That was pretty cool. You want to, <laughs> no, we're not, okay. You, you don't understand what I'm saying? Because I don't know if I'm ready to be fully accepted. 
like fully accepted. There's walls that I get to put up. There's stuff that I want to put up. There's, there's uh, protections that I put up because I don't want this, people to see the real, true, all the way me, right? And if I'm having lunch with Jesus, I'm, if I'm eating with Jesus, he's going to accept me. Like he accepts people breaking into parties and breaking perfume bottles over his feet. Like he accepts everybody. <laughs> like, it's crazy. He's going to accept fully me, all my stuff, all the junk, all those things that say, hey, I see you, and I'm still sitting here with you. And that is kind of scary if we're honest with ourselves. Second thing, I don't know if I'm ready for it. I don't know if I'm ready for full redemption. Because if I have lunch with Jesus, if I come to the table with Jesus, if I sit down to partake with Jesus, it means he gives me the avenue for full redemption. That means all of my past can be leveraged for his glory in the future. All of it. Now, there's some pet peeve things in there that I don't really want to give over to God. There's some things, those are my pet projects, my pet sins, my pet issues. Like, I like to think about them. I don't really like to think about them, but, you know, they're these items of shame that like to pop back up and go, oh, yeah, that was a terrible moment in my life. I'm a terrible person. I'm horrible. I'm the only one that deals with that, right? I'm the only one that that brings shame back up in their life. But when you meet with Jesus, when you come to the table with Jesus, he says, you know, that that nasty, dark secret? Watch this. I'm going to make something beautiful out of it. It's like, no, 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 no. Because if you make something beautiful out of it, everyone else is going to see it. And I'm just slow your roll a little bit there, Jesus. But that's what coming to the table with Jesus means is I get to everything of me, not just the parts I kind of have quit hiding from God. He redeems all. All of it, and we see that same thing happen over and over and over and over and over and over again in the Gospels. And they happen around the table. Third thing is, um, I don't know if I'm ready for my reality to be shaken. Like, anybody here like their whole preconceived notions just to be blown out of the water? No. It doesn't matter how big of a free spirit you are. You've got your things and you like your things and that's the way you want your things to go. And when someone shakes it all up and blows it all up and you find what you thought was true is not true anymore, you react a certain way. I know how Jared reacts when he finds his reality has been shaken. I get mad. At who? I don't know. But I get mad. And then I get very, very, very confused. And then I need a moment to process then probably apologize to someone, right? And then I'm okay with my reality being shaken. But as we look at the scripture, Jesus is constantly saying, oh, that's cute. You have preconceived notions of how I work. And people are mad at him and they say, crucify him. Jesus is crucified. People want to kill him because he takes people's preconceived notion. He takes their nice little worldview and goes and shakes it and breaks it and start something new with it. And if I'm honest with myself, sometimes I'm happy in my little lane, and I'm doing life, and I got everything figured out, I think. And then I read the scripture, or I feel God pushing on me in a, in, when I'm praying. I'm like, I don't want to do that, because what that does is it takes my world, and it shakes it. We can react different ways to that, but I'm just telling you, If this coming to the table thing, what we want to do is we're going to come in the presence of God. We want to have a meal with Jesus. We want to sit down at the table and really expose ourselves to Jesus and say, this is who I am, who I really am. 
And Jesus is going to accept you. He's also going to redeem you, and he's also going to shake your reality. And those are some scary things, but I think they are worth it. If we've been wondering in our lives, I mean, this, my relationship with God doesn't seem like it's going very deep. My relationship with God isn't, isn't going to the next level. My relationship with God, it just feels pretty shallow. I wonder what it's like if you ex- come to the table with Jesus. Some of the deepest, if you think about this, um, this week we kicked off a marriage life group. And I said, what's the best date you've ever been on with your spouse? The best date. The best date. Um, More than half of those immediate responses, they didn't get a long time to think about it, focused in on a meal. Like, it just focused in on a meal. There's stuff around it. There's stuff that you did. Like, mine was a meal that we had in Italy. Well, being in Italy had a big part to do with it, right? But it was this meal. It was this fun part about that. And so much is of, of we think about the best experiences of our life, we were sitting around a table sharing food and sharing life. If we can start to start think about as we develop the relationship with God, what is it like if we just come and sit at the table with Jesus? When, what does it do, do for our communion? What does it do when we take the bread and the grape juice What does it do for us if we start thinking about this is a moment in which I'm sitting at the table with Jesus? So we're going to take communion every week for the next seven weeks. Now, we usually only take communion once every month, right? Um, I know that's different. If you grew up in in a different tradition, that's like, what are you talking about? You don't only take communion once a month. Or some people are like, take communion once a month. We do that only once a year. Um, You you have the different viewpoints of that. But we want to do something a little special here for the next few weeks. Take communion every week. And really, as we center in on that, think about I'm having a meal with Jesus. And in that meal, I can find full acceptance, full redemption, and have my world shaken. This morning, I want to take you to um, one of the first time, well, the first time in, in Jesus's ministry that we get to see how he reacts to a dinner party. Um, this is going to, this is an interesting one. It's always been an interesting uh, exchange that Jesus has for me. I've studied it a lot. Um, I've studied different parts of it. Still don't fully understand all that's going on here because it's such a deep happening Um, But it's found in John chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 2. John is a gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, fourth book of the Bible of the New Testament. Um, If you don't have a Bible, uh, there is a Bible in the seat in front of you. You're more than um, welcome to take one home with you today if you don't have any other Bibles. You can also uh, look it up online using the YouVersion app. But John chapter 2 is this unique uh, kind of coming out party for Jesus. He's kind of collecting disciples at this time, but he hasn't been doing any miracles yet. And so where we find Jesus is he's coming to a wedding. And this is, and weddings in this time period are different than weddings of today. For us, um, we have a wedding where the big ceremony and everybody's, you know, da, 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 you're doing all the fun stuff and everybody's dressed up and uh, all these things. Um, I think the tradition of this is basically there was a wedding feast and it's like a seven day party. Like we think our receptions are lavish. Like these receptions are, there wasn't really even a ceremony at this time. It was just, we have a party. When the party's over, 
you're married. Congratulations. Uh, so this is a party for seven days. And everybody, like the town would shut down. Hey, we're going to go hang out. Now, what are we doing for dinner? I don't know. Whatever the, you know, the graphs are having tonight. The, hopefully they ordered chicken and spice for our meal tonight. You know, whatever. And so it's this big deal. It's this extravagant deal. And of course, the, the more well off you were, the more extravagant the whole thing could be. And it just kept on going. But it, it bound them together in the shared experience of the party. Okay, it also bound the community together and the shared experience. You remember when the Scarcellis got married? That was amazing. That was so much fun. Remember when this happened and remember that? So you have a week of this like partying going on. Does this make sense? Okay, and so Jesus is a little late to the party. This is where we find him, and he rolls, rolls in with his disciples. And uh, this is where we find what's going on here in the, the, the happening. On the third day of the wedding... Uh, took place at Canaan and Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Jesus' response, which is like, there's a whole word study we can do here, but we'll, we'll not do that today. Woman, why do you involve me? And Jesus was slapped by his mother. No, a woman, why do you? <laughs> it's actually, when, when the, the scholars are talking about the way in which he's a, a Talking to her is, I'm, I'm grown now, mom, because he's starting his ministry. I'm 30 years old. I'm not saying mama, you know, although, uh, yeah, so he's saying, woman, why, why are you trying to order? What, what do I have to do with this? And so he's, he's showing the, the, the delineation of that. Also, woman, um, the word actually used here is more of an honorific, not um, woman. What are you talking? Okay, let's, Jesus, Jesus did not back talk his mama. That is not his, his deal, okay? Uh, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. I don't, I'm not supposed to be doing all this stuff. This is not what I'm concerning with. Hold on. It's so only as a mom can do, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you, right? Are you seeing the scene? Are you seeing, Jesus is with his buddies, like with all his disciples. He's, this is his first time out in public as a rabbi. He thinks, I, he, the human side of him has got to be like, eh, look at there. You know, God's side of him never sinning is going, no, you're going to stay humble. But, you know, Jared, if he was a rabbi, would be going, look how cool I am. Jesus is better than Jared. Duh. Um, and, the, and the easiest thing to ever say here. Um, and so what happens is he, he's there and his mom says, hey, they're out of wine. <laughs> okay. What do you? <sighs> and she says, do whatever he says. Like he's going to take care of it. You see what? I just love that play. I love it. I love it. I love it. Do whatever he says. <sighs> so Jesus, instead of throwing a pity party or whining or yelling at his mom, which is good job, Jesus, nearby stood six stone wa- uh, water jars, this, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. Now, these jars are ginormous. We used to have a big old thing that was about the same size. Um, it's out in the lobby. Th- these jars are about this tall and about this big around. Okay, stone jars. You don't move them, you know, you, they're, they're usually wrapped in a rope type thing, and, and, but these are huge, huge things. And so he says, hey, uh, go get those stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons of water. That's a lot of water. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. The master of the banquet is kind of like um, today would be like the father-in-law, the guy who's in charge, 
right? The father-in-law gets to introduce people. The father-in-law gets to talk. The father-in-law gets to do a, a toast because it's his daughter and it's his money and he gets to do those things, right? So the master of the banquet might have been the father-in-law. It's whoever the guest of honor was, whoever was like in charge that day. And so they go to, they're not bothering the bridegroom. They're going up to, in uh, the bride, they're going up to the master there and said, hey, taste this. You go, are we okay with this? They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water and that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though, and the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then they called the bridegroom inside and said, Hey, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best till now. Well, what's going on? Right? It's the third day of drinking. You don't have to serve your best stuff. Now, in Jewish society... Remember, we don't have Coke, we don't have Dr. Pepper, we don't have water sanitation stuff. So usually the wine is, is cut with water. A lot of times wine's diluted so it's a little safer to drink. It doesn't matter how much you dilute 120 gallons of wine, that's a lot of wine. Okay, let's, let's just be real with that. I also, this is funny, another translation, I, I learned that this week in the commentaries. Um, another translation says, uh, Jesus and the disciples... Or, the wine was gone after Jesus and the disciples arrived. And the, way, the wording of it was like, wait a minute, they had wine until the disciples showed up. <laughs> Which the moral of the story is, don't bring fishermen to your wedding reception, right? So like, I just thought that was interesting because then Mary's like, hey, you better fix this problem. Your, your teenage entourage is messing up the whole wedding reception. Why is this a big deal? Now, I don't know what, what's going on, but... Um, I just thought that it wasn't Jared's brain. It was a commentary that said that. So there you go. Uh, Works cited page. Um, Why is this important? Because there's something massively important about these weddings, right? I just told you, you start shutting down your business. Hey, what am I going to do today? Oh, the, 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 uh, the Scarcellis are having their wedding. We're going to the Scarcellis house. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's awesome. Okay. We'll close up the shop early. So what's going on is the whole town is starting to come to a standstill. It's a holiday, basically, for this. And so everyone's coming to your house to, to, for, to, to feast with you. And so you are uh, partaking, you're having this great time. You run out of wine, basically saying the party is over. We're done here. And what in this honor-shame society would have been terrible? That would have been like, oh, you don't have enough money to entertain all the guests. Oh, you, oh, poor Scarcellis, they couldn't pull this off. Oh, they didn't plan very well. Oh, blah, blah, blah. And so now you can hear that. Instead of being this beautiful time of a wedding in which the, everyone's like, oh, yeah, this was fantastic. Now the, the starts. And you don't have TV and you don't have Twitter and there's nothing else to talk about. So what are you going to talk about? You're going to talk about the failing of this family at their wedding feast for years and years and years to come until someone else fails even harder. But it's hard to outfail not having enough food and beverages at your, your wedding reception. Does this make sense? Another thing, this, I learned this this week, this blew my mind. Because of the fact that I am taking off work to come to your feast, because of the fact that I said, you know what, I'm closing up my shop, I'm not going to go out in the fields, I'm not going to do this, this, or this, you were legally liable if you ran out of wine. It's in like the rabbinical law. So if I was coming to your party and you ran out of food, I could sue you. Like, make sure you have enough Tostitos next time we're coming over to your house. Like, isn't that crazy? But that was in there. And I thought, why in the world is that? That's because I've taken, I've shut my business down. I have sacrificed something to come to your party. 
Like, isn't that weird? I just thought that was kind of a weird way of looking at it. But that's in the rabbinical law. You could get sued. So this family, well, let's start out our marriage. Yay, it's going to be scary because we have no money and we're young and in love. Right? Everybody, every time, anywhere. And so let's do this. Oh, wait, we're now under crushing legal debt because we just got sued because we ran out of wine at our wedding? Awesome. Because that first year of marriage isn't stressful enough. So enter Jesus into this period. What does he do? He saves them all that shame. So instead of letting them deal with this issue, instead of letting them squander on this, letting them get legally liable to a bad party, he creates 120, on the, on the light end, 120 gallons of the best wine these people have ever tasted. You see the switch in that? Instead of letting them languish in shame, letting them be financially ruined, letting their marriage get off to this terrible, terrible, terrible start, he says, hey, here's the best. Here you go. So now everybody's talking about, do you remember how awesome that wedding was? Do you remember, oh, that wine, I've never tasted anything like that before. Do you, do you remember that? Remember how lavish, how great, how we lost this couple's name to history, but you know they were talked about for a long, long, long time afterwards. That's what Jesus does in these meal moments is he switches the story. He takes people where they are open to being shamed and he sets this acceptance, he sets this redemption, he, he shakes their world a little bit and he changes them forever. And so over and over and over again, this is what Jesus does in these moments. And it is beautiful. It is wonderful. And it's what he is about. Verse 11 says, What Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and disciples, and there he stayed for a few days. I think it's beautiful. Like This is one of those moments where no one knows except a couple waiters and the disciples. No one knows. They just thought the party all of a sudden got a lot better. They had no idea. And I just, I love what that, that means for us. So as we extrapolate these, these three ideas that Jesus always does when he uh, comes, comes to the table with you is one, he accepts you. He accepts you. We, who come to the table means finding acceptance. So Jesus in this situation How does he extend acceptance? Well, he walks into this wedding. The mere fact a rabbi would come to your wedding elevates this couple. Like you are, the party is a success and based off how many important people come to your party. If no one important comes to your party, then you're kind of, it's a wash, right? But if you get people who are better and better and better, more honor or more important start coming to your uh, wedding, you get uh, blessed more and more, and your honor in the in the society goes up. And so, by him showing up with his disciples, he just accepts this this marriage, and he he elevates it. Um, that's just just by showing up, he's bringing acceptance to this family. The second thing he does is he he, he pushes redemption here. There's a grace in this situation. There's so much grace given that he doesn't call attention to himself. He does this in secret. There's only a few people who ever know that Jesus turned the water into wine. There's only a few people who ever know that he bailed him out. He, but he redeems something that could have been a terrible, terrible travesty in their life. 
that could have set their marriage back years and years and years. And he turns it to a victory. It's the same thing he does in our lives over and over and over again. When we get real enough with Jesus, when we let him see us and see our shame points and see our stuff, that he turns our, our possible failures and our defeats and he turns them and turns them into victories and beauty. He does this over and over and over and over again. And finally, the, has the reality shaken? Can you imagine being a disciple and you don't really know what you kind of signed up for? Like Jesus hasn't done the feeding the 5,000 yet. He hasn't, he hasn't brought anybody back to life yet. He hasn't done all these amazing things he's going to do. You just kind of signed on to this rabbi son. Hey, come follow me. Okay. A bunch of 20, 17, 15-year-old boys. Hang on. All right. Okay. <laughs> like, they haven't really even left home yet. They're only like 20 miles. Like, the option's still like, well, this dude stinks. I'm, I'm out. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm leaving. Like, that's, it's all here in this moment. And going, did you, just, did you just see what he did? Was that real? Did I? What? What just happened? Can you imagine? Like, Jesus is probably walking down the road, and they're all following him, and just like, that's cool. You know, just this weird thing. He's probably just laughing at the, the goofiness that is happening. But that, this starts to cement... Jesus is more. Jesus is more. There's a lot that John is doing in the metaphor aspect of this moment. There's a lot John is doing. He's talking about Jesus. He's setting up the the narrative of who Jesus is going to be for the rest of the book. Right? He says, you, if you think about it in this this big arch, you think about it as um, in the life of, of Judaism, the life that God has for people. Jesus over and over again uses the metaphor of the bridegroom and the bride. The bride is the church. Jesus is the, is the bridegroom. Over and over and over again, this is used in the New Testament. And so what John is doing here with, through, through Jesus is saying, the wedding's happening. God is meeting people, except the wine has run out. The love has run out. The, the old grace has run out. The old way of doing things is just, is, it's gone. That's Old Testament faith. And then Jesus comes in and he produces this new wine that's better than they've ever experienced before. And it's an excessive amount, excessive amount. We're talking excessive amount. It's the same thing that Jesus does for us and he does in our life and he's done for creation is that when you thought you were done, when you thought you were dry, when you thought you were empty, Jesus can come in and give you more than you ever thought. And it's an excessive amount of grace. And this is what Jesus does over and 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 over again in your life and in the lives of the people you're going to see him touch in the Gospels. This morning, as we think about what Jesus is doing in our lives, and I want us to think, um, the usher's going to bring communion up uh, here in just a second. But as we think about what God has been doing in our life, or maybe the absence of what we think God has been doing in our life, I want us to think about, have we been holding God off at a distance? Have we been refusing to come to the table with Jesus? Because maybe we're scared of finding acceptance, discovering redemption, or having our reality shaken. Maybe we're a little scared of those things, if we're really honest with ourselves. So as we take these elements this morning, I want us to think about what these are for us. You are more than welcome to take communion with us if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. We practice open communion here at the church. Uh, there's no membership class you have to go through or anything like that to, uh, to take this wonderful 
a wonderful uh, communion. But as we take these elements, as we go through these moments, this is not something just rote that we do, something we do to get through it. I want us to think this morning as we hold these elements in our hand that I'm having a meal with Jesus. As we close our eyes, as we listen to the words being sung, what is he speaking into my life? What are the parts of my life you'd say, you know what, I want to redeem that. I want, to, I want you to know maybe you don't feel accepted anywhere, but I accept you and I love you and I care for you. Maybe he's speaking to your life and saying, I'm going to shake your worldview a little bit. I'm going to change you a little bit. As we come to the table this morning, as we take these elements, as we chew and taste the salt and the cracker, as we sip on the sweetness of the grape juice, let us know what God has for us is something greater, better, more beautiful than we can ever imagine. That he wants to fill our cups up full and overflowing that we can have life to the full. Not something that's empty. Not something that's dry. Please pray with me this morning. God, thank you so much for today. And thank you for this moment and this time. Thank you for being with us and guiding us. Thank you for being a God who's not far off. Being a God that is cut off from us. That you are a God who wants to eat with us. That you have invited us to your table. And we have the privilege of sitting across from you being loved by you, to being shaped by you. So Lord, right now in this moment, as we sing this song, as we take these uh, elements, Lord, that you would, you would meet us in some beautiful way. That we don't take this for granted. We treasure these moments in our life. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your death. I thank you for your resurrection. I thank you that you would break your body for us, that you would pour your body, your blood out for us to wash us and to provide a way for redemption, provide a way for acceptance, and provide a way for our whole eternity to be shaken. I thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for joining us at church this week. I hope you enjoyed this week's teaching. If you have any questions or comments, shoot an email to office at scog.com. To continue to support our mission to reach, grow, and serve our community for Christ, you can give online at scog.com or through the app. See you next week.